Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They also were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. In 1983, John Scully quit his post at PepsiCo to become president of Apple, a role in which he served for 10 years. He took a big risk leaving his prestigious position with a well-established firm to join ranks with an unproven little outfit that offered no guarantees, only the excitement of one man's transforming vision. Scully says he made the risky move after Apple co-founder Steve Jobs goaded him with this question. Do you want to spend the rest of your life selling sugared water or do you want a chance to change the world? I, I can't help but think when Jesus called Peter, Andrew, James, and John to set aside their occupation of fishing, to become fishers of men, that maybe Jesus goaded them a little bit and, and said, do you want to spend the rest of your life casting out nets and dragging them through the water in hope of catching a few fish? Or do you want to be a part of something, be a part of a movement that will literally change the world? And that's what happened. We can read in the book of Acts where Christianity had such an impact upon the Roman world that those outside recognized the disciples of Jesus of completely turning the world upside down with the good news of the gospel. We are in the business of changing the world. And God has used this congregation for 150 years uh, to do just that in this city, this community, in this county, and even beyond. And the book of Acts has played a very important role in the life of this church. In fact, in the life of the Lord's church from the time Luke wrote these words. And so again this morning, as I announced, I began a series of, of sermons that I'm simply titled, You Will Be My Witnesses. And that's based upon what Jesus says in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. 
I really like what Duke theologian William Willimon says on page one of his commentary on Acts. He says, the story told here is open-ended because it continues today in your church and mine. It's a story worth retelling because it deals with issues which are always in season in the church. I agree with Willimon. And it's, it's because the, the story of Acts is open-ended that we continue as a part of that story. Our tradition, our heritage goes all the way back to the first century A.D. And it's, it's no wonder as we seek to be faithful as God's people today that we would time and time again return to the story that Luke records for us in the book of Acts. He, he writes in chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. In my former book, former book Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. So as he indicates here, and as you well know, Acts is what we might call the sequel to the gospel that Luke wrote. And it's actually in Luke where we want to begin uh, this morning. And we want to look at uh, verses 1 through 4 of Luke chapter 1, a text that is often referred to as the prologue to Luke's gospel. Because Luke does something in this, this prologue that no other gospel writer does. Craig Keener, in volume one of his just exhaustive uh, commentary on Acts, says, even if this preface, that is Luke 1, 1 through 4, serves primarily Luke's first volume, that is the gospel of Luke, it is intended to introduce the work, both volumes, as a whole. And so it's very important if we are to trust Luke's message, if, if we can with certainty understand what he writes and tells us, not only in his first volume about the life of Jesus, but also in the book of Acts. As Christianity begins, and he records approximately the first 30, 35, 38 years of Christianity, that we can with certainty and with great faith know and understand what he has written. So let's begin in Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. He says, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. Well, as we read previously in Acts 1 and now again read in Luke's 1, 
This two-volume work that we have had handed down to us was originally written to a man by the name of Theophilus. We don't know for sure who this man was, um, most likely because of uh, the title that Luke addresses him with as most excellent, might suggest that he was a man of, of high standing, most likely a Gentile convert to Christianity, who evidently needed some reassurance for perhaps his wavering faith. But because of Theophilus' influence, Luke would also assume his work would gain an even wider audience. And here we are, over 2,000 years later, enjoying what Luke originally wrote to this man, Theophilus. But there are some other things that are vitally important that, uh, again, emphasizes the um, painstaking research, I'll put it that way, that Luke underwent to be sure the story he writes about Jesus and uh, the beginning of Christianity is accurate and Theophilus can be assured that it is reliable. And so Luke wants to impress upon his readers that he is a serious, accurate historian. And we see this in a number of words or phrases that he uses in this prologue. Words like carefully investigated, orderly account, know the certainty, he says to Theophilus. And so again, Luke has researched this. He has talked with eyewitnesses. He has looked at other resources to verify the accuracy and the reliability of the story he is about to tell. But Luke also wants to impress upon his audience that his two volumes are a special kind of history. Something that we might call theological history. And he hints at that with what we might call some insider language, so to speak, for those of us who are a part of God's family. He uses the word fulfilled, a, a word that would take us back to the prophets of the Old Testament. And as God works in human history to fulfill His will, handed down is another very important phrase and is used especially in the New Testament of the passing down of apostolic tradition and the Word of God being passed down from generation uh, to generation. Servants of the Word, uh, obviously a reflection upon those who uh, were speaking the Word of God, sharing as evangelists the gospel of Jesus. Things that you have been taught. And so very important, again, little phrases, words that emphasize this is not just history, but it's the history of God. 
It's the history of God's Son. It's the story of how God intervened in the first century in human history to fulfill a number of promises that He had made previously to His uh, people. So we can learn from, from this at least four implications as to why Luke wrote and how Luke wrote. First of all, he writes as a historian. Again, he has carefully investigated. He has done his research. He has interviewed people. He's talked with, with eyewitnesses to be sure he is as accurate as he can be. Secondly, he has written as a theologian. Theology, by definition, is a word about God or the study of God. And again, reading between the lines just a little bit, we, we see that this story he is about to tell, the story that he is writing, concerns God, concerns God's Son. It is a word about God and uh, the life of Jesus. And then after Jesus is raised from the dead and ascends back to the Father, uh, the first uh, few decades of Christianity. And so it's not just history. It's also theology. And because it's about God and it's God's story, the importance that it has for us. But then thinking or reflecting upon Luke as a theologian would certainly imply two additional things. First being that Luke also wrote as an apologist. Now, the word apology uh, to us today did not mean what it meant back in the first century. Uh, as uh, an apologist... Luke is simply making a defense of something. He, he is defending what he is writing about. And, and so if indeed it was the case that Theophilus was maybe uh, wavering in his faith just a little bit, maybe there were some things he wasn't quite convicted of, not quite certain of. As Luke writes this theological history, he is defending its accuracy. He is defending it uh, as God's truth. And so he is also writing as an apologist. And then finally, Luke wrote as an evangelist, as one who is sharing the gospel of Jesus, one who is sharing the good news about who Jesus is. And we've made the point previously uh, this gospel, it's not only good news, but because it is good news, it's also urgent news. And we see um, that urgency, that, that sense of energy and excitement beginning in Acts chapter 2. And as you read through the book of Acts, uh, those first century Christians with what uh, conviction they shared this good news because they understood the urgency uh, of its message. So Luke wrote, at least, as a historian, a theologian, an apologist, and an evangelist. So what does that insinuate 
for us? Well, number one, since Luke-Acts is history, that is narrative or story, we must share it. I mean, doesn't everyone like a good story? And and don't you like to hear a good story told? It it captures our attention. It it captures our imagination. And uh, Lori likes to... uh, kind of, I guess she's kind of teasing me a little bit, but uh, she says, you know, you come from a family of great storytellers. And, and some of us are really gifted in that way. And, and here we have this, this wonderful story about Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. And then that story continues with the disciples of Jesus as Christianity begins and how, uh, again, it just rocks the Roman world of the first century. And so there's this story to tell, this story to uh, capture our attention, this story to capture our imagination. And and so it's a story that, that belongs to us. It's, it's a story that, that we can claim, that we can grasp and share it with others. I, I, I know that Lamar Avenue, six, seven years ago, as a congregation, went through that, that curriculum uh, titled The Story. And uh, you begin in Genesis and you continue all the way through uh, the book of Revelation in, in kind of a orderly, systematic way. You see the story of God, and you learn the story of God. We went through that at Mayfair three or four years ago as well. And and one of the points that that we consistently made, I'm sure was made here as well, but applies to this point this morning. Not, Not only do you read Scripture to learn God's story, but you also read Scripture to place yourself in that story. And again, back to Willimon's quote. One reason he suggests that that the ending of Acts in chapter 28 is left just kind of open-ended because the story continues and will continue until Jesus comes again. And so it's a story, again, that we place ourselves in and we share it with others. But number two, since Luke Acts is theology, we must study it. Again, when you think about just a simple, basic definition of theology, uh, a word about God or the study of God, it, it puts what we find in Scripture on a completely different level. And I, I, am, I am thankful that this past summer, this summer, that we have emphasized the importance of Sunday school here. Remember, a disciple is a student, a pupil, a learner of God or about God. And, and so we, we have been encouraged, we've been uh, challenged to uh, especially participate in a Bible class on Sunday morning. And, and why, why 
to learn about God, to learn who He is, to learn about our Lord and Savior, and again, to see ourselves as His disciples. Number three, since Luke acts is an apology, we must support it. If, indeed, uh, Luke is an apologist, he is defending something. He is defending the truth, the accuracy of God and Jesus and the continuing story of God's people, uh, the church. If he is defending this story, we support it today as God's people. And again, th this particular point is so vitally important in uh, the culture in which we live. But because truth tends to be relevant today. And, and so this importance of defending the truth of God's word and in understanding that our faith is based on credible evidence, historical evidence, and, and knowing a few of the arguments and being able to defend our faith as we have opportunity. Finally, since Luke Acts is a gospel that is good news, we must shout it. Shout it. I mean, I mean think, think for a moment about some good news that you've recently heard. What, what, what do you want to do with that good news? You, you want to tell everybody, you know, right? And you want to share it. And you want to be sure everyone uh, knows about it. And, and again, it's, it's that sense of, of urgency and uh, excitement and energy because the story of Jesus had, has had such an impact upon our own lives that it becomes our story. And in a very natural way, we can just tell others about it as we live out our faith. So as we uh, have begun this study of Acts this morning, we will see several themes, uh, some historical, some theological, uh, some uh, apologetical, some evangelical. I may have made up a word there. Somebody Google that and see if that's a word uh, or not. Um, and, and so we'll study about salvation. We'll, we'll study about uh, the Holy Spirit. In fact, uh, there are those who, who would suggest that maybe a better title uh, for Acts instead of Acts of the Apostles, Acts of the Holy Spirit. And uh, the importance of understanding God's indwelling us uh, as His people through His Holy Spirit. We'll study a lot about the church. Um, ecclesiology is, is the word. And, and look at how uh, the early church lived out its faith in a culture, I'm convinced, uh, not that different from our own. And we'll get into that as this series uh, continues. But perhaps the primary theme that you see in the book of Acts is that of, of growth, of expansion, again, of everywhere they went, those first century disciples 
sharing the good news, shouting the good news of Jesus. And so maybe more than anything, the book of Acts is about mission. Someone has said, the church does not have a mission as much as the mission has a church. And that, that statement, uh, who, whoever said it again, and I've seen it in several different uh, sources, I'm, I'm sure whoever first said that was trying to impress upon all of us not to forget the reason we exist. And, and we can talk about vision statements and we can talk about mission statements and we can analyze those two words and I, I don't like to get into semantics. But, but for me, the mission is pretty simple and it's Matthew 28 when Jesus says, you know, go into all the world and make disciples. And he even tells us how we do that. We baptize people and we teach people. That's, that's the mission. And, and we see over and over and over again in the book of Acts, these first century Christians fulfilling that mission. Uh, George Ladd was uh, a pretty influential theologian uh, in the mid-1900s. And um, he once wrote this. God alone who has told us that this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world for a testimony unto all the nations, will know when that objective has been accomplished. But I do not need to know. I know only one thing. Christ has not yet returned. Therefore, the task is not yet done. When it is done, Christ will come. Our responsibility is not to insist on defining the terms of our task. Our responsibility is to complete it. So long as Christ does not return, our work is not yet done. Let's get busy and complete our mission. And next Sunday, we're going to celebrate this church being on that mission for 150 years. And, and just as apostolic tradition was handed down uh, from generation to generation, it's been handed down to us. And as, and as Lad points out, until Christ comes again, the mission is not over. And the mission is not complete. And so, again, next Sunday, we're going to celebrate 150 years. That's the roots part. Important part. Because a heritage has been established at this place. But there is a second part to next week, right? Remember? Roots and wings. And wings suggest the future as well as the present. In, in the remembrance of our past, and we have reached this point in the present to continue the mission and to continue into the future as we hopefully hand down that apostolic tradition 
to a new generation, and they to another, and on and on again until Christ comes again. And so just as Tom Cruise is handed that envelope in, have there been 12 Mission Impossible movies? I don't know, I've lost count. You know, that, that envelope will be handed to us next week. And, and are, we, are we ready to accept the mission as God's people and, and, and continue to perpetuate the good news of Jesus? Let's stand and sing.